McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Bobby fans, and once before, cast episode 179. Well, it's seven goals scored and six points in four days. Can the Blues actually make a playoff push? Join the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, Bunce. Yes, yeah, 7-1 aggregate since we last spoke on, on air. Peter pissed this league, isn't it? What are we worried about? Yeah, I know we don't get too carried away, but I'm thoroughly excited for our top half of the championship push next season easy game easy game that's right when Sunderland are moaning that we've overtaken them in the championship that's not happening is it let's be honest come on even if we did get promoted but let's just calm ourselves down and when I talk about calming myself down I want to hear the cool nice dull tones of Freddie Webb how are you Freddie I'm not so bad Hugh yeah um loved going to the Bolton game I was there in the Fratton end Awesome atmosphere. The stadium was rocking as it was. Um, made up for missing the Cheltenham game because of work, but hey ho. But considering the last two wins, would you say that uh, some doors are opening? How long have you been playing that for? Uh, I had it in the back of the head since about eight o'clock this morning. Rather than one of our classic one-liners of um, making up a new story that it sounds like something Fred would inter- interject with, can we just assume it was something vitally important and that Portsmouth will never be the same again? Fred, is that fair? Hmm. Hmm. Not even dignifying it with a response. I have so much time for that. One of the things that I'm disappointed about, to be honest, the only thing I'm disappointed about with the Pompey beating Bolton was was meshed in by Ryan, who sits next to us or stands next to us, even in the back of the fraternity, end, who said one thing is for sure: we can't blame Freddie anymore if we lose. Freddie, the Yorkshire curse seems to be over. That is the only sad thing that's happened, really, from Tuesday night. No, no, I was going to say, after the first Bolton goal went in, I, I, I was ready to rip up the season ticket, walk out the stadium and go home. But uh, fa- fa- thank God the lads on the pitch saved me there. Oh, we don't overreact on here, do we, Fred? Nice, A nice, sensible, proportionate reaction. I have a lot of time mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've been mobilising people around me with some sort of hate speech against people from Yorkshire, basically, to blame Freddie for for all the, the misery which happens, considering I've been tracking games he hadn't been to and games he'd been to, but I couldn't make it down on Tuesday night and Freddie, unfortunately, has broken the curse. So Yes, we we've broken it all. They were still singing about Northern Bastards in the stadium, so I had to keep my mouth shut for a little bit. Ooh, 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 ooh. Is that, what, here, is that what Northern people sound like? <laughs> No, apparently I can't take the piss out of anyone with a slight southwest accent because he used to live in Exeter. So I thought you'd get the inside joke, Freddie, um, Andy even. But at the same time, there we go. I probably should explain it to the listeners anyway. But on this rather dull point, let's move it on. So first of all, we're going to review the game against Cheltenham. Following from that, we're going to review the game against Bolton. 
And then we put a question out to you guys. And thanks to everyone who messaged in. It really makes the show, as we've said many a times, because we appreciate it. And we said, after the two wins, is there any chance Pompey make the playoffs? Or are we just dragging on this, I don't know, some sort of hurt or whatever? Is it the hope that kills you? Let's be honest, all those sort of things. And finally, we're going to preview the now even more important game on Saturday away at Cambridge, right? Let's start with the Cheltenham game. Andy and I were there with friend of the show, Will, who came down with Andy as well. He wasn't wearing his rather castaway shirt that Andy gave him, his least favourite shirt, which Andy gave him as his birthday present, which people would know to listen to the last show. It was a really, really nice day out, I'll put it that way. We met a um, listener, Josh, who came down. John English, good to meet you, buddy. We had some good beers and a right laugh, so thanks for that. And we will be coming to Feyenoord at some point, probably next season, because there's no tickets going now. But we appreciate that, and we'll all bumble over some beers there. But let's get into the game a little bit, I suppose, rather than talking about my beer social life. And let's talk about the start of the game, because it's not often, is it, boys, that we kick off a game, and within sort of 20 minutes, you're thinking, we got this one. You know, it's in the bag, really, isn't it? So let's start with the first goal. It's a quick free kick. Joe Morrell plays it to Rafferty, who lays a lovely ball into Colby Bishop, who does what he does best, really, at holding the ball up. But he has another runner on from him. He lays it off, and Tunnicliffe places it beautifully into the bottom right. He makes up for the uh, nearly David Norris goal from the other week. It's 1-0. What's your take, Freddie, on the reason for that goal and... What sort of inspiration that gave the team going further into the game? Uh, it definitely set the tone, didn't it? Well, what I noticed from this game and in the game we're going to talk about later on was just the amount of support the centre midfielders in the double pivot are giving the forwards, which I think is a major difference now. Um, I don't think Bishop would have had that option from Tony Glyph in previous games. Um, it's nice to see Joe Rafter on that right side getting forward, loved across to Bishop, who was able to shoulder off his defender. Very hard finish from Tony Cliff just to place it as calmly into the corner as it was. Usually when you see players do that, they shank it wide or there's no power on it and the keeper often clutches it. But no, lovely finish and it turned out to be a proper man of the match performance for Tony Cliff, really. And he's just continuing his Pompey renaissance, isn't he? Incredibly well. Um, and it's going to be very hard to not look at him to get a contract next summer at this rate. Yeah, exactly, Andy. He is doing what all players should do when they're playing for a contract, isn't he, Ryan Turnercliffe? He's showing, I can score goals, I can create goals. We'll talk about how he carries the ball as well later in the game, but he's not even, he looks like a different player, doesn't he? Yeah, I genuinely think that was the probably the best performance I've seen from him in a Portsmouth shirt. I think I'd go that far in terms of, yes, Cheltenham gave him way too much space, but in terms of him always being the out ball and reading the game well enough. He was always there to pick up if a, a move didn't work out, always there as the out ball and to recycle just throughout the game. And it didn't really put a foot wrong, did he? And in terms of this setting the tone, I mean, for me, the tone was set even earlier than the first goal. I think it was, what was it, 41 seconds or something when Bishop went through on goal and and probably, to be fair, should have put us 1-0 up very early on. So I think the set the, the tone was set extremely early doors. And yeah, Tunnicliffe just ran the show, didn't he? This was a really nice finish. It was a proper, it was almost like a FIFA goal. You set yourself up with, uh, if you're playing be a pro or something, I don't know if they still do that. My last FIFA I got was FIFA 13. So I don't know if that's still a thing, but 
yeah, it was a nice little layoff. R1 circle, far corner, bish, bash, bosh, literally. Um, and 1-0. FIFA 13, what can I say? We're hipsters into retro video games, right, guys? I never felt the need to upgrade from a PS... What have I got? PS3? I don't know. It hasn't been plugged in for about five years, so... That's it. I'll get my uh, my console out, which uh, starts up, and when it goes on, it goes, Sega! You're dating us there a little bit. <laughs> Getting back into the game a little bit now, boys, because we talked about Ryan Tunnicliffe and the second goal, again, was created by him originally carrying the ball forward. And Freddie touched on, you know, runners from midfield. Joe Morrell's been doing it now for a while as well, just to sort of touch on that. And Tunnicliffe breaks forward. The ball eventually comes into the box. I think it's Ogilvy and it goes long. But Owen Dale, he recycles the ball really nicely up to Rafferty, linking up. It's nice to see the two of them linking up nicely on the right-hand side. And then the ball comes in, Bishop, with a little round-the-corner little touch, one touch, which is absolutely beautiful for Jacobs. That's something you see that they knew where, that he knew exactly where he was going to be, and he smashes it home. It was nice to see Jacobs playing in the centre, I think, there. It was one thing I looked at. I think it was just nice to see Michael Jacobs getting into those attacking midfielder roles, which is something I think, Freddie, that he really excels at. Yeah, I, I think I'd prefer him played in a central role compared to a winger. It makes better use of his close-touch play without taking away the option of him putting in a killer pass. He's also got a lot of space to drive play and run at defenders as well without the need, without like the extra burden of running up and down on, along the wing, for example. Uh, yeah, lovely pass by Bishop. Uh, lovely wide triangle as well, which I noticed. Raftu with the great cross to him. Bishop with a perfectly weighted pass and Jacobs will be able to obviously I'm making it sound easier than it was just one touch away for, away from the centre half and then powerful side foot into the corner but so many things could have gone wrong there with that shot could have gone straight at the keeper defender could have shoved him off so it was a lovely finish and set the tone and Portsmouth didn't particularly look back ever since did they after that second goal it seemed comfortable Cheltenham's defence didn't look like it get hold. The midfield was pretty non-existent as well. So the start of a complete performance, really. Fred, I don't know if you've got the stats handy, but from the way Pompey came out to press Cheltenham in numbers right from the start, you saw people pressing in twos and threes. The kind of thing we saw in a sort of way when, when the Cowleys first came into the idea of how, they, how you press, but probably in a more advanced way, I suppose, how people are pressing in sort of zones and getting the ball back and recycling it. Do you have the pressing stats for this game, the PPDA stats for it? Uh, I do. Overall, it was 5.37. So a very big high press. And then breaking it down even further by minute by minute. Surprisingly, it was around 13 for the 1 to 15 minute mark where Portsmouth got their first goal. And then around the same mark for the 16 to half an hour where the other two goals are in. So it wasn't as aggressive as it was for those goals. But then the high press pretty much kicked in from the 31st minute onwards when Pompey pretty much just had control of the game afterwards. But like you mentioned earlier, from watching the game, you could see Pompey players pressing in ones and twos, cutting the options that the opposition defenders had to play the ball out. It was still fairly impressive. We talked about this a lot, haven't we? I don't think it's the only way to play football by any manner of means, but Pompey teams for ages have looked better when they've pressed high just with the players we have, in my humble opinion, anyway. 
I think the way Cheltenham set up really made that even more effective. And to be honest, it was something that was effective against Bolton as well, but for different reasons. Um, we'll come on to this, but against Bolton, it forced them to play the long ball quite a lot, which didn't work out. But against Cheltenham, because they lined up with quite a few men behind the ball, but not particularly effectively, but because they had quite a few men behind the ball and they were playing fairly, you know, the the first two lines of players were pretty close together. It meant that their out ball just wasn't there with the high press. They didn't have that short ball available. And then if they were forced to playing it long, there was no one there. So their entire style of play, honestly, it confused me quite a lot in the, in this match. I didn't really know what they were trying to do. But I think having so many players sitting defensively and not really offering much forward, it made that well-executed high press so much more effective. I think when you have the two set of midfielders, the Tunnicliffe and Morel, carrying the ball forward so much, it meant that players like Ryan Broom, you know, who usually tries to link the play up going forward to the likes of Alfie May, had to play a lot of the time running backwards, you know, facing the goal, which meant that he didn't really have much sort of ability to get the ball through central midfield running at our players and therefore sort of laying the uh, balls through to the attackers. So we did a really good job at stifling them. And I think that started pretty much in, in the centre of midfield. Let's go on to the next one, really. I was just going to quickly talk about Owen Dale and how he does this lovely move on the right-hand side. He, he's, he does what he does best and he manages to get to the byline and he skips far past a few players. He cuts inside. He does everything right, doesn't he? And he, and he hits it and it's just so unlucky. It just comes off the bar. and. We talk about players who need a goal and Owen Dale has got to be the one player who really needs a goal for us, right? I think he deserves one. For, yeah, the build-up play in that, or I say build-up play, his personal build-up play in that chance to hit the bar and then the obvious chance against Bolton in, in the following game. I don't really know how either of them have not gone in. He's done all of the build-up play right in the Cheltenham chance and then just not quite being able to execute. And then in the Bolton, in the Bolton chance, he just hasn't executed in the slightest. And it was a honestly that chance was a bit of a shit show, as we'll come on to. But yeah, if anyone deserves a goal for work rate and effort put in, you'd you'd be doing well to argue for anyone other than him at this moment in time, wouldn't you? Yeah, literally. He's like your mate on a night out who just needs to pull, but there we go. Owen Dale just needs to get a goal. Ready. <laughs> We all know it's not you, Andy, it's lag. Hey, 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 hey. That is slanderous. It's not slanderous if it's true. I know the rules. <laughs> now you've announced to the entire listener base that I'm, what was it, a slag? Shall we, yes. shall we move on? That's correct. Let's move on to the Thanks, next mate. Then. Let's I, I, talk think, about... I, think, I think we'll leave the listeners to make up their own minds on that one. Oh, such a journalist. Mm-hmm. Always. <laughs> Let's move on to the next one then. Owen Dale again takes on, um, gets the ball, sorry. Just trying to get myself back together now. Gets the ball and he unreleases Tunnicliffe down the right-hand side. He puts in a lovely ball into the box. Again, both those two players involved in the goal and another runner because Ronan Curtis skips him. He's there for the tap-in. I love the fact he goes and shushes the 15 Cheltenham fans <laughs> in the Milton end or however many there were. There weren't that many. Fair play to them all that came down. Ronan Curtis, a bit excited there. Shoots the fans. It's 3-0. It's nice to see Ronan get a goal, isn't it, as well, boys? Yeah, his performance, I thought, in the game before was fairly reasonable. Um, and again, he suits the style now. He's on his favoured left-hand side. 
Pompey employing the high press, running into the box, making a nuisance of himself. And it was a great run getting in between the defenders. Um, and it was a very well-weighted pass to him as well. Can't fault it. Love a bit of Curtis shithousery, slushing the fans as well, Where even though we're freeing it up <laughs> after that goal. Not needless at all. I love it, to be honest. And Pompey were pretty much in control. They didn't look like losing from that point, really. I don't think we looked like losing before that point. I mean, it should have been, even when that third goal went in, it probably should all already have been, what, four or five, if we're being completely honest about it. The game as a whole, we... I don't know what the XG was, Fred, and I hate to think if that's what the game is for later on, but you would say it wouldn't have been disproportionate to the number of good chances we had if it had been six, seven, I don't think. Considering we hit the bar twice, Bishop missed two good chances. You know, there were, there were a lot of good chances in there. Four was kind of underplaying what they really should have yeah, there was also, yeah, the, yeah, the two one-on-one chances from Bishop as well. The first one getting blocked by the defender and the keeper and then blazing the second one over the bar. And I know there was a lot of... There was, I don't know where this came from. Some criticism of Bishop after this game, but the guy linked up incredibly well and got two assists in this game. I don't particularly care that he didn't score, to be honest. Yeah, he, his link-up he, 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 Yeah, exactly. And it was proven that he will score with the right service. We're going to talk about that later on in the next game where it was a lovely corner to him, even though he was bullied by a centre-half for the entire game. That is, Bishop will score goals in this division. I think that's proven. I'm not going to have any doubts about his performances, really. Yeah, not at all. And getting two assists in this game as well just shows he's more of a contributor purely than just goals in this in the, uh, in this team as well. Let's move on to the fourth goal. Why not? It's a short corner. And again, we look like we're playing with complete confidence. The short corner comes out to Joe Morrell, who then lays it across. He squares it across to the man, Louis Thompson. And, you know, you can see the team are playing with a little bit of confidence. And why not when you're 3-0 up? And he just smashes that and the swerve on the ball. Keeper, I mean, he was in, didn't have a clue what was going on, did he? Maybe he didn't expect it. It's not really left or right of him. Let's not take that away from Louis Thompson. What a finish. What a goal. It's 4-0. Yeah, strange one to watch back that with, as you say, it didn't look like it went really that far from the keeper. It moved a decent amount in the air. Yeah, confidence is high to have a hit. Nice for Thompson to come on and get a goal rather than a yellow card. And it was a deserved 4-0. I think 3-0 would have been really generous to probably the worst team I think I've seen at Fratton this season. Unless either of you two have got a game you could, could top me with. I can't think of a worse team in terms of not bringing anything attacking in an attacking sense, but also being so porous defensively. I can't think of a, another team who has done neither of the main facets of the game to any level of ability. Your no, silence... No, yeah. I think, I, I'm sorry. I think, yeah, I think Charlton, Charlton were probably the poorest performance at Fran this season, I think. From, bo- from, bo- from both sides of the pitch, because I think we've seen... Teams not offer a lot going forward when they come to Fratton Park, but then they lock us down and get a one or draw or a nil-nil draw. We've seen that plenty of times. But Cheltenham weren't really... They weren't solid defensively either, even though even though they set up. For example, I think when Portsmouth beat Burton earlier, they tried to set up in a similar way, and Burton were much more effective doing that. Mm-hmm. Much more effective doing that. But even when they were supposed to be chasing the game, they just didn't get men in the box. When they were 2-0 down, they were putting balls into the box. And... 
there were numerous occasions where there was either one Cheltenham player and say three Pompey players or literally no Cheltenham players there attacking the penalty area. And I just really don't understand what the game plan was, to be honest with you. I don't understand what they were setting out to try and do. And as soon as we scored the first one, it was one of those where you just, you didn't really feel threatened at, at any point. I don't think Macy touched the ball with his hands in the first half. I can't remember him having to do that. Let us know if that's not the case at PO Forecast. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about in this game? Before I move it on to the Bolton one. Nah, crack on. Fred? Uh, only a couple of interesting things. Pompey are ahead in all of their dual metrics in this game, on the ball, off the ball, in the air. So they batter them on that front. And then a very good 57% cross accuracy, um, particularly from low crosses, which led to both middle both goals in the middle. So they, they're they very well set up. Very well set up. I was impressed. All right, let's move on to the Bolton game then. Tuesday night, under the lights at Fratton Park. Bolton's a team who, let's be honest, you know, are flying high, doing well at the moment in the league. Didn't necessarily expect us to come away with a win in this game, to be honest. I think we can all say that before the game. I was thinking probably a draw would have been a good result, although not good for our league table position, but still, you know, they've beaten us twice already this season. Looked, you know, pretty comfortable as well doing so. So going into the game... Let's talk about that Owen Dale chance at the start because Trafford, the goalkeeper, he sort of tries to play the little pass out from the back and again, Pompey press him. Owen Dale gets the ball given straight to him. I mean, I'm not really sure what happens here. I mean, I'm looking, trying to watch it back and he just doesn't really get the shot away. Maybe he tried, should have shot earlier rather than sort of trying to trying to beat it around him and take too many touches. But is it a foul? Is was one of the things that was said? I don't, I don't think it's a foul. Personally, I think he takes too many touches. I think when he's, if you pause the replay, I'm watching this one back at the moment, actually. And if you pause the replay when he first gets gifted the ball, there's no real reason, even stopping it as he's on the 18-yard line, there's no real reason for him to be trying to take it around the keeper on his left here. I don't, obviously it's an absolute split second. This is very easy for me to say with a literal still of it in front of me you know, watching it back and it's a split moment decision, but I think it's as simple as he makes the wrong decision in the moment. And I think he makes the low percentage play and then keeper does reasonably well to half get back and half atone for his mistake. And then, I mean, it's just pinball, isn't it? And bodies on the line. And, but no, I don't think it's a penalty for me. Yeah. I think he just, uh, for, from watching it back in the uh, back of the front end, I thought Dale just got it stuck under his feet and like Andy said, took too long to get the shot away. Uh, Trafford closed the angle quite well afterwards, even though even when the ball fell to Ronan Curtis afterwards for a follow-up shot, Trafford was able to make himself big and close out the angle there as well. That was probably Pompey's biggest chance, those two shots there. And there was that one where Coderog, where it was another poor pass uh, from Bolton, falls to Conor Ogilvy, Takes a shot. It takes a shot deflection, and then and then Curtis tried tried to chip the keeper. Quite unlucky there. Um, that went over the bar. And Pompey did fairly well in terms of their pressing, but throughout that first half, Bolton pretty much looked very well whenever they got to the penalty area, playing around the penalty area, spreading the play a fair bit, and they looked good on the counter attack. So that half was fairly even for me, and nil nil was fair at that point. 
Can we have a momentary shout out for how unbelievably shite the referee was for this game, please? Ah, uh, uh, yes. What's his uh, name? Stephen Martin. And I oh, think, name uh, and shame. I wasn't yeah, going to yeah, name yes. and shame Freddie. That's, no, that's but it, his name's on the BBC report. We will mention it. Oh, uh, so it's uh, absolutely uh, fair game. Yes, it is fair game. <laughs> it's uh, definitely uh, fair game. Uh, and, also, and also an honorary <laughs> award to the bald linesman as well on the left side, whose name is not given by the BBC. Um, oh, so he's not he, fair he, game. He, he, was, just, saying, he was just as dreadful personally. Right. Uh, the amount, the amount the referee let go in this game for both sides was, and it was especially just the amount of double, a double armed shoulder, shirt pulling, jostling, all sorts. Ricardo Santos bullied Colby Bishop for most of this game. Having and been booked early as well, he shouldn't. Been, I think he should have have, having been booked early, uh, and the, re- the the referee allowed Santos to bully Curtis in that way because he was all over him for most of the game. Curtis or Bishop, Fred? You Bishop, said two excuse names. me, Bishop, excuse me. Yeah, so even though Santos, uh, I saw some Bolton fans not happy about his performance, but he was allowed by the referee to mark Bishop out of the game to a certain degree purely by basically just jostling and wrestling to the ground most of the time, which made things very hard. But Bolton were a fairly physical team in the midfield as well. It's just the same. The ref didn't really get to grips with things, made inconsistent decisions. But it's League One. You're going to get inconsistent referees pretty much every other game at this point. So we've got to uh, accept it to a certain degree. We do seem to be having some shockers recently. Again, not just anti-Pompey. It seems to alternate literally week by week, it'll be for us, awful decision, then an awful decision against us. I'm not saying it doesn't even out, but it does seem to be a bit of a repeated theme. I mean, we don't normally bring it up on here because we're not really the whole, our vibe isn't really the let's slate the officials. But the fact that we've had these conversations quite a lot recently suggests to me it's been worse than normal. But I think that that first half, it was just really good to watch, wasn't it? It was genuinely, to the whole game, I really enjoyed watching the game. There are not many times I've been able to say hand on heart that I've really enjoyed watching our games in the last four or five months. But even if we'd drawn this one all, I still would have come away thinking that was a good watch. How how nice was it to have that? Talk about a good watch. What was quite nice to see is Pompey coming back from being a goal down. And obviously Bolton scored from a corner. I don't think there's many complaints about this, is there, boys? We can just say it's a simple goal, really. Ball comes in, convert from a corner. Yeah, uh, 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 Toil. Was it Toil? The centre half? Managed to, managed to leap up highest. His header was deflected. And then it just falls to Dion Charles for a fairly open finish. Obviously, he's a solid striker. Takes it a plumb. Slightly before that, Bolton had the advantage as well, which was a bit depressing. But thankfully, the subs were made. Piggott and uh, Scarlett coming on. And it, I think it changed the game a fair bit. Offer, uh, offered something else with an extra outlet out there. It just took a lovely bit of quality from Rafferty to start that off. I think the only other but reasonable bolt on opportunity after that corner was um, when Carl Dempsey went forward on the left-hand side. He pretty much blazed that, sh- blazed that shot straight over the bar, but it, lo- it looked a closer chance in the back of the front end anyway. Let's talk about Rafferty's ball into the box then for the first goal. What is really lovely to see and having him back on the side is he plays that ball in between the goalkeeper and the defenders, doesn't he? Bolton played quite a high line 
I don't know if they expected the keeper to sort of come out and collect balls a bit higher than he did, but he sort of stays a little bit rooted to his line. But Rafferty puts the ball in that really dangerous place and Riley Towler comes in, heads the ball home. Lovely finish, to be fair. You know, it's easy to get those off target, isn't it, in the moment as a defender when the ball comes across the goal as well. So all credit to Riley. Big celebration in front of the front and end, and it's 1-1. Yeah, it's also very hard for a centre-half to get a lot of power in the header when it's like that because it bounces before him as well and he pretty much picks his spot perfectly with the header right in, right in the corner away from Trafford and loved the celebrations from Taylor. He absolutely loved it scoring in the front end and I could be more chuffed for him. Go on, Riley. Moving on then, let's talk about this. one of the next goals then that goes in short corner to Morel. Again, it's a little bit of a thing here, Fred. Short corners. You know, as I said before, statistically most likely to go in. Those stats are from the Premier League, from the Athletic, though. So whether those stats actually are the same in the EFL, I don't know. I'm just happy to stop with the long throws. I'll take the short corners, but the long throws, if those come back again, I won't be impressed. Just wait till Pac's back. Don't to look forward to. (laughs) Freddie wants Pac out the team with the long throws coming in. (laughs) Freddie wants I'm not going to go that far. (laughs) Uh, it, well, yeah, one of our best midfielders don't play him because he has a long throw. I would, no, I wouldn't go that far. But genuine question though, if Pack was fit next week, would you take out Tony Cliff Burrell as the double pivot? Because they're ahead on form. Even with Tom Lowry coming back, I mean, what, why would you change what's working? At the moment, I don't think you do change it unless someone's got a niggle or an injury or whatever. You know, we haven't seen our centre midfield pairing firing this well, to be honest, carrying the ball forward defensively all round. Um, you keep it as it is, don't you? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I don't think you can really change a system that has worked that well in two games, one of which against a particularly, you know, pretty decent Bolton side, albeit not in the best of form, but a very good Bolton side. And I mean, I think Tom Lowry was about to come on at one point, wasn't he? Just before we scored one of the goals, he was, I think he was about to come on. He was a minimum warming up. I think he might have been starting to strip off to come on and then sat back down again when we scored. So, I mean, we don't know what his match fitness is at this point. I mean, I don't believe a word that comes out of the club referring to medical, like where people are in terms of recovery. I mean, if he's on the bench, you'd assume he's pretty match fit. But I think we're more likely to see him come on off the bench to get a bit of game time under his belt, I'd be stunned if Lowry got brought back into the starting eleven. I'd be absolutely staggered. So yeah, I think you start with you start with what has been working over the last couple of games with the Morel and Tunnicliffe duo, and then if we manage to go a go- well, a couple of goals up, it's looking comfortable. You bring on some Lowry and get some minutes in his legs. That's that's for me anyway. And just looping it back to what I said about the short corner, I suppose because that's where we got the uh, the second Riley Towler goal. I know we sort of went on a little tangent then over Freddie's hatred of long throws and he says it, he doesn't mean it that much or whatever and try to play it down. But if you see his face in the stand shouting red, angry, then you would know how much he hates long throws. He, he despises them. I'm about, what, 20 yards to your right and one row down and I can hear it. So, I mean, everyone else I'm sure can who's between us. <laughs> God's sake. 100% can, mate. 100%. He's going, hey, up, long throw, no more of that. That kind of thing, you know. Exactly what I sound like. That's alienated us. <laughs> Anything north of I don't know Peckham, you've just alienated with that um, with that accent. Good work. No, that was a Freddie specific accent, not a regional one. All right, this is gotcha. impression that that makes it unoffensive. Nice, <laughs> thank you. 
Anyway, the ball comes over from Morel, plays it into the back post. Riley Taylor does well because he sort of makes that run across, doesn't he? To sort of be the first person to the ball, takes the chance the ball's coming in. Maybe he doesn't take a chance. Maybe it's a set play from the training grounds, but gets across. He taps it home. It's a nice finish as well, isn't it? It just shows how good he is with the ball at his feet. And it's 2-1. Sorry. It was deserved as well, wasn't it? It was very much deserved. After equalising, Pompey were on top and they looked like the team who were going to score the second goal if, or the third goal of the game if there was going to be a third goal of the game. At that point, I was pretty confident any third goal was going to be us. So, yeah, really nice finish. I can't believe we're still talking about this goal. We've been You brought up about five minutes ago and we've spent a total of about 14 seconds on it thanks to us going off topic. But, yeah, really nice, neat finish. Always a good sign when your centre-backs are chipping in with goals. And yeah, Riley loved it. It was it, it was the in-swing cross from Morel first, right in the danger area on the edge of the six-yard box. And then Towler just getting ahead of his centre-half. Like Hugh said, getting in between the centre-half onto the space, put it on a strong foot. And yeah, we've seen finishes like that go wide or maybe blaze over the bar with the wrong angle and stuff. But no, but no straight into the corner and... The reaction in the in the stands afterwards said a lot because I haven't had an atmosphere like that at Fratton Park. It might have been the same against at Cheltenham. I'm not sure because I wasn't there, but it was rocking in that stand. Yeah, it was a bit flat against Cheltenham in my opinion. Even when we were winning, because I think it was a bit too comfortable. It wasn't. It wasn't a great Fratton atmosphere for me. But yeah, the Bolton game, different kettle of fish, right? Absolutely. Before we talk about the last goal, let's talk about Joe Morell's shithousery. The little the little trip on Delindaloo. The scummer. On who, sorry? Delindaloo. Del- <laughs> Definitely not his surname, but I like that more. <laughs> Go with Delindaloo. Go on then. No, no, it's easy to throw stones. I can't. It's like Unlundaloo, isn't it? It's N and an apostrophe Lundaloo. I thought it was Dan Delindaloo. Dan Lundaloo. <laughs> It's been a late night, all right. Delundaloo. I'm pretty it's sure 8, it was. It's 8.17 p.m. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's, it's Dan and Lundaloo. There you go. Yeah. It's not too bad. Okay, off, well, we it? both think we're right, so we're going to have to listen back to this. <laughs> Say what, Andy. No one cares. He's a scummer anyway. He is a scummer. You're right. <laughs> Just call him scummer, shall we? All right, so Joe Morrell trips up scummer, and someone said he said scummer as he tripped him up, which who knows if that happened, but... I like to think it did happen as he just shouts scummer as he trips him off the ball. <laughs> Credit where credit's due, up the Joe Morrell. We'll just move on then since this is a side of side Absolutely. Flat and on that note, a big happy St. David's Day to our North Wales contingent. Did either of you notice St. David's Day today? No. No? Well, glad one of us has got our Welsh roots sorted. Yeah, happy St. David's Day to all, all our Welsh listeners. All right. Happy St. David's Day. The only other thing to mention with that trip, though, it shows the players are still on it and determined and focused on finishing the rest of the season as much as they can. And they've got an affinity with the club. I mean, Joe Burrell doesn't trip over Scummer like that if he he didn't care about the club, surely. I, I think he does. I don't think that represents any sort of affiliation for Portsmouth FC. I think that demonstrates just being a little shit house, and I think he would do that no matter who he was playing for. I hope oh. he'd do it for Wales, although that's a bit different because you know there is a bit of an affiliation there. You'd hope not that you could tell that from his accent, but 
I don't think that shows that, you know, they're desperate to win every game for the club. I just think that enjoys his little prick in midfield. I think that's that's even better for me. Or does it show how much people hate the scummers just in general? I'd be surprised if it was scum-based. I really would. don't think Morel's known for being a massive Southampton hater, is he? He's no Ricardo Rocha. He is now. I mean, Ricardo Rocha on the podcast claimed that that wasn't deliberate as well, the big smile on his face, didn't he? Uh, you know that Cole Pilkington thing from Idiot Abroad where he's just like, bullshit. That's that's what I'm calling that. I didn't do it to Ricardo Rocha's face because I'm way too much of a wuss and a little bit scared of him. But uh, yeah, I don't believe that for a second. Yeah, in awe of the man. But yeah, that was fair enough. You know, one day he might even come back on the podcast. We don't want to start pointing fingers at him, do we? <laughs> All right. Since doing shout-outs for little holidays, like St. David's Day, might as well give a shout-out for Matt. It's his birthday tomorrow. Corrick, shout-out, mate. Enjoy Amsterdam. I know that's where you are now. Loving life. Happy birthday, mate. You're not allowed to smoke weed in the red light district anymore, are you? Or have they not brought that in yet? Photos say differently. Um... <laughs> <laughs> have a nice hope time, you... Corrick. Let's hope you work aren't listening. <laughs> Let's move on to the last goal, then. Because... It's a corner again. We don't seem to score from these before, do we? But ball comes into the box from Tunnicliffe and haters, you know, pipe down a little bit because Colby Bishop does an absolute beaut. It's the second time this season he's done like a little flick, isn't it? At the near post like that, sort of little back heel flick, is what you call it, but flicks it across the face of goal, goes into the, into the bottom corner, Colby Bishop, and it's just finishes it off really nicely, doesn't he, after having the two assists in the last game? Yeah, and more shushing for the fans as well. Which, which second time we've had two shushes in two games, I thought, which is quite funny. But no lovely finish. It, it says a lot for a striker to be able to angle that ball properly with barely any power. Didn't need it at all. It was just the, the right angle on the flick on. Pass Trafford straight into the corner. Tony Clever game with another assist producing um, in these last two games, which is wonderful to see. And that killed the game off and... It's brilliant that Pompey is still showing that grit and determination despite 1-0 down um, because for a while during that run, that very, very poor run, Pompey weren't able to do that. It, it would be a couple of goals and then they would sink. So it, it seems that this side have moved on from that and it's a clean slate. I think credit where it's due as well. When we scored the second, they pushed for a third and the substitutions that Messina made were attacking even when we were ahead of the game. And yeah, they didn't try and sit on a 2-1 lead and see out a nervy Fratton Park for the last five minutes. It was very much a case of, no, we want a two-goal margin here and we're on top and we need to stay on top. And that, yeah, it was, it was nice to see. A, it was a real positive tactical decisions from Mussinho when we could have gone a bit more passive. Yeah, Scarlett offered a lot on that left-hand side. It proved to be a real nuisance. Um, there was a chance when he was one-on-one, wasn't he? And he was brought down, which... The ref, for some reason, didn't pull up, which is very strange. And Joe Pigger coming on later, he offered a lot of presence on the eighty uh, on the eighty second minute and linked the uh, and linked the play up fairly nicely. Um, so yeah, I liked both both subs by Masingo. Quality decisions, really. Fred, where do you think it's different with Masingo and how he's working Scarlett and Pigger into the team compared to how they both of them really weren't working out, were they, in the side under Danny Cowley? What do you think the difference has been in how they're playing under Messinio? That's very hard to say, actually, because looking back on it, Messinio is now playing Scarlett more out wide. And at first I thought, oh God, they're playing a striker out wide. 
and for no reason whatsoever. But he, he seems to get more joy out there at, the, at this current rate, anyway. Not pinned up against the League One centre half all the time is probably quite nice. Gives him a little bit more space. Gives him some just some open areas to run into as well, which is very good. It, it, he seems to have his confidence back in that regard. And then Piggott is just closer into the pitch, linking up with another centre-forward, for example, being able to put, play the ball into space, providing a proper presence. And really, it's very good to see. I, I'm very happy that the, that the substitutions are now making a difference, whereas it, when, it, when it got towards the end of Carly's tenure, it seemed that any sub was made purely for the sake of it, which is a shame. All right. Let's move on. Uh, no, one thing, we have not played Guess the XG, so we have to play that because we did play it last week. I don't think. I think I forgot. You did. Yeah. Uh, did anybody? Did any listeners complain? Uh, I do apologise. The handful. One person thinks that since he said that he likes Guess the XG, you've been deliberately omitting it. <laughs> uh, well, I haven't. Obviously, no. That you was got just a me. lot of time for that. That, that that was just me forgetting, unfortunately. If in doubt, take everything in life as personally as possible. I've got a lot of time for that, and it's oh dear, it's, it's really helped my mental health. So I actively encourage everyone to do that. <laughs> I did tell I did tell the guy that it's, it's nothing to do with me and Andy. It's just your pure hatred for him. So um, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, he likes two thirds of the podcast still. Well, Thank fair, you for accurately enough. representing fair that. You, I, I'm grateful that you you reported the facts there. Right. Uh, moving on from that, guess XG is slightly different this week. Riley Taylor scored a brace against Bolton. From both of his goals, what were his own combined expected goals for his header, which is the first goal, and for the left-footed shot, which is the second one? I'm assuming the silence means you want me to go first, even though I did last time. I can go first if you want. I'm just, I was actually just trying to think that in my head, which is not moving very quickly today, even though I've drank so many (laughs) drinks. Just trying to remember what the two goals were. (laughs) No, not the two goals. 24 hours ago. Well, no, it's not that. It's just there's more than one thing to consider, isn't there? There's two moving parts here to, you know, I've got to add two numbers up in my head as well. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that delays things. Have you noticed I'm still delaying in order to not give my not give my answer. I'm going to go with 0.54. Shut up. I was considering, actually, I was considering 0.52, but I think the second goal is, is I think the second goal is a noticeably higher XG than the first one because the first one, the ball is moving away from goal. He's on the run on the angle. And it's sort of some Formula One driver level neck muscles powered it in. The second goal is a decent chance from the six yard box. Fred, have you got the breakdown of the two there? I'm assuming for us afterwards. Yes, cool. I do. So you went 0.54. I will go 0.64, just so I don't look like I'm taking the piss a little bit. You should have taken the piss, Andy. Unfortunately, uh, Hugh has got this one with his 0.54 because the the total expected goals for Riley Towler from both those shots, was 0.48. Oh, shit. I was going to go for 5-2, wasn't I? Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, you were right, uh, uh, Andy, with the breakdown, the expected goals. Um, the second chance, having a higher proportion. So his first goal with the header was given a 0.15 expected goals chance, and the second was a 0.33. 
expected goals chance. I think that's undervaluing the ch- the quality of the second chance for me. I'm I'm overruling the XG and I'm taking the point. I hope that's all right with you both. Yeah, so, yeah. So send an angry email to Y Scout if you'd like. I'm not going to do that. I I have. Do I have better things to do? I'm sure I can think of one. Yeah, I was going to make another joke, but I thought it was a bit harsh. So we'll move on from that one. Go on, no, take your hit. Come on, take your shot. <laughs> that is too late now. I've said that. <laughs> yes, I think like, I know the context of it, but I'm too scared out. to ask. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Freddie, can you just please let us know what the scores are, please, and guess the XG? I haven't gone back yet. I need to actually listen to all the podcasts again and note down what the standings of Guess the XG. So that's so that's my Sunday afternoon. That's almost um, like a Portsmouth news story in itself, to be fair, Fred. If you get to the end of the season, who's one out of the two of us? You can make a clickbaity title. You'll never guess who won the PO forecast Guess the XG title this season. Hugh Bunt's Guess the XG was what? That's like perfect clickbait. My headlines aren't that bad. They're not that bad. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> we put a question out to you guys and we said, Pompey's 4-0 win against Cheltenham and a 3-1 win against Bolton. I've got some fans looking back up the table. Is a playoff play still a realistic possibility? Thanks to everyone who messaged in. Appreciate it. Pompey has a message in. He said it's not impossible, but I'd say it's unlikely. Well... Not impossible, because it's not mathematically impossible. It's definitely a fair comment. Is it likely, Freddie Webb? I still don't see it. As much, Even though Pomp, you're playing incredibly well at the moment, it would take a lot of moving parts for Pompey to actually sneak into the playoffs from here. At the time of recording, Ports of a 10th for 48 points. They're 11 points behind Barnsley, who are in sixth with 59 points with a game in hand at the bare minimum we'd have to beat Barnsley in that in that crunch tie coming up on the Tuesday night and also rely on other teams ahead of Portsmouth falling away at the same time that we continue this run all the way for the rest of the season with 14 games left for Portsmouth to play it's too much of an ask I'm happy with the way Portsmouth are playing and I'm really glad that the season's not petering out completely it's very nice but no, I don't see it. Um, I just, at this rate, the ninth place prediction is still on the cards. Is it? <laughs> is it likely? No. Am I going to bring a disgusting level of optimism to every single podcast after we pick up three points? You know it, hundred uh, percent. No, it's not. I would agree. Was it, was it Pompey and Canberra that, that said that? Yeah. Pompey Hazard. Sorry, Pompey Hazard. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty unlikely, isn't it? But at the same time, let's throw a hypothetical out there because, you know, that's more exciting than looking at the reality of life always, which is miserable. If we take three points off Cambridge, which you would hope we would, they're in a big relegation dogfight. Next two games, Barnsley away, Sheffield Wednesday at home. Let's say we pick up nine from those three boys. <laughs> Easy as that. I'm sure it won't be too much of a struggle. I mean, Wednesday, you know, only top of the table, pretty average team, really. No decent players. Barnsley away. I mean, fair Barnsley haven't been in the best, Nick. I mean, that's that's pretty pretty manageable. And then you're looking at a running of Stanley away, the Gas and Vale and Forest Green and MK Dons. That's a very winnable run. 
I guess what I'm saying, boys, is get the the playoff ignition in the in the key in the ignition, and we'll be we'll be on our way. I think what we can see looking at these at these fixtures without we'll go to some more comments in a minute though is that this is a big week and a bit, isn't it, coming up? Mm. And I think we're going to see a little bit of where this team is under Messino after we play these games. Let's, let's hope we don't slip up against Cambridge because then we have two really massive games, don't we, coming up. And I think then we can either throw the towel in or, or see what happens. But um, game Greg Meshton, he says, we still have games in hand versus the current top six teams, including three in hand against Bolton. It's still possible, especially of how we played on Tuesday, but it's unlikely. Still possible, though. That's what Andy's holding on to. That's what, that's what I can see all over his I, face. I should probably add in that I do have some sort of grasp on reality here and a certain amount of what I just said is tongue-in-cheek and I've not completely lost the plot. What's that playoff banner behind you? Champions, which you put back up. What the, you had at the start of the season. Is, is, well, is, I got prematurely no. printed. The playoff <laughs> yeah. champions 2022-2023 Portsmouth FC. Yeah I'll, yeah, I'll get that. Don't you love it when someone does that? Or gets like a tattoo thinking they're going to win something and then it goes horribly <laughs> wrong. I saw, um, I'm, I'm obviously a big Philadelphia Flyers fan, but I noticed the Eagles in the going into the Super Bowl. In the, <laughs> some guy had a, a championship Super Bowl championship tattoo across a whole sleeve, and obviously they didn't win. So, um, boy, you hate to see it. I, I guess you could. I guess you could lie and say it was from the previous Super Bowl win that they did years ago, but no one's going to believe them. No, nah, he dated it and and included the fact it was a horrendous. <laughs> <that> game. <laughs> I have just seen a comment though. Hugh Adam sent it to us. Adrian Goff is going to donate a hundred pounds to the charity of our choice if we make the playoffs. So now I'm absolutely gunning for it. What a lad, Adrian. I love that. That will be going into the brewery kitty charity, right? Uh, yeah, that well-known uh, not-for-profit yes. organisation known as no. <laughs> three of us in a brewery. <laughs> Sounds like we could get, if we called our podcast, that would probably get sued. <laughs> three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure it's going to go down too well with the other lot. <laughs> Dave Lowe, you're, you're right. I was going to say, you're, you're right, Hugh, about the next few days being key. I mean, come the 11th of March, we'll know if there's any point even entertaining it or not. After the Wednesday game, we'll know if it's even a 10% probability. If we haven't picked up at least seven from nine, then it's not. Is it, is it, I was going to say, is it mandatory to win both those Barnsley and Sheffield Wednesday games to have even the slim chance? I think two wins and a draw keeps us in it because then we've got an eminently winnable run of games. But um, I'm going to put my reality hat back on now and uh, let you crack on with the messages. I'm going to say a win against Barnsley is needed as well as Cambridge. And then potentially a draw or even a loss, I suppose, could happen against Wednesday and still be on because, you know, it's just about winning against those teams you can catch. And, you know, Sheffield Wednesday, we cannot catch. So let's not really worry about them too much. That's no different, but... I think you have to get six points in the games against Cambridge and Barnsley. Dave Lauren he says, we have exactly the same number of points as we had after 32 games last season. That is progress. <laughs> Trust the progress. Trust the process, boys. Have, have more bricks been laid? That's what I want to know. Uh, I think they have. Safe standing. It's a topic for another day, but we stand up anyway. So there we go. Our last 14 games were 1-7, drawn four, lost three. 
which is a very reasonable form, it was nowhere near enough. It's not impossible, but it's incredibly unlikely. I do remember the run-in, and it was us and Bolton, wasn't it? Trying Say to that again, Hugh. Last 14 was what? 1-7, drawn 4, lost 3. So that's 25 points. So that if we did that again, that would leave us on 73 points at the end of the season from the last 14 games. Yeah, so not enough. We can do an actual episode where we look at each each bit going through, but I think maybe we do that if we pick up the results we spoke about. Then we look yeah. at the running. Yeah, for sure. That well, just for context, that'd be seventy three. Last year, the playoff cutoff was eighty three, so just a tiny bit, tiny bit off. So yeah, I mean, I agree with you about the other episode thing, but that's just for context. Doctor Dykes messaged and said, "Is the playoff play still a realistic possibility?" No. Well, there you go. Heard it here. <laughs> Solid response. Appreciate what that. Is it? Um, you say it best when you say nothing at all. Like <laughs> very, very concise. I like that. Where is that reference from, Andy? It's a song in it. I don't, don't even know what song it is. Isn't the song called "You Say It Best When You Say Nothing at All"? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's definitely not a philosopher, is it? It's some sort of '90s cheesy boy band. I'm no, thinking. it'll be like Atomic Kitten or something. No, it's, it's not. It's older than that. I think it is from the '80s or the '90s. I'm going to mute and Google. I'll be right back. <laughs> you go for it, mate. <laughs> That's the message in said it ain't over until it's over. There you go. That's that confident Andy Mitchamore spirit there. Ain't over right. till it's over, Andy. <laughs> uh, John, mate. Oh, God. I think originally, I don't know who came first. The first one that's come up is Ronan Keating, which is possibly worse than Atomic Kitten for me to know. And then also Alison Krauss. I don't actually know who that is. And you both look very blank. Let's just start with that then and go with that. <laughs> Alfie John messes in, it's not impossible, but we need to win every big game and requiring those above us to slip up. Let's hope for some terrible refereeing performances that go our way then. <laughs> the teams above us, that could maybe swing the pendulum, but let's be honest, it's going to be a big arse, eh? I mean, probably not for the bad refereeing performances. It is League One after all. I mean, is it true that we're still, well, it's technically part-time referees at this level? We've added some of them this season who have been part-time, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, it's a madness, isn't it? I mean, other teams, I don't want to go all running heavy, but other teams above us, like Barnsley, have got, on paper, far tougher run-ins than us. I'm just leaving it there. Just leaving a little dangle of dream. I'm thinking about coming a referee then. If, if it meant that I could go to still go to football, but maybe referee on a Tuesday night, why not? It can't be any worse than these Muppets, right? Fred, do you want to put him down or do you want me to take this one? I don't feel like it, to be honest. I think, I think refereeing probably need any as many volunteers as they like. <laughs> so, I mean... I think to, to inverted commas qualify to referee in League One, you've got about five to ten years of being abused by parents at children's football Hugh so that's something I'll come along even if I've got no I mean I have no children that I know of but even if I've got no one I know playing in the game actually this story is going towards dangerously me coming to watch children's football matches I don't want to go down this route let's move on please thank you we'll just blag the paperwork (laughs) (laughs) what I was going to say is I'd come down and just verbally abuse you at any level of the game mate you don't need to go into league one all right let's put that on the back burner Tim Footmesh in and he says I'm not overly concerned about the playoffs right now to be honest if Pompey keep turning in performances, anything like the last two games from now until the end of the season, it'll be good to watch. And that is a big improvement. Playoffs are still possible, but I say pretty unlikely. 
it is true, isn't it? It's just nice to see, as Andy said earlier on about the Bolton game, enjoying watching the game because we all have season tickets. We actually want to enjoy ourselves, don't we, on a Saturday or Tuesday, boys? I know because at certain points, obviously, you still go if you can. But there were some games where I was thinking, God, really? Am I going to have to go to this? Because there was points where positive results didn't seem likely, but more importantly, positive performances and joined up thinking didn't seem likely at all. So it's nice to have a small thing to cling on to for the rest of the season. It's refreshing. Sean messes in and says, the playoffs realistic? Not for me. 11 points off Barnsley with three sides between us. We suggest it's going to be a very hard. We won last night, didn't move, and only closed the gap of the playoffs by one point. It's true, isn't it? That was the same as last season. We kept winning, but didn't close the gap. But again, let's just see what happens, I suppose. Kieran Fox messes in and says the improvement has stepped up since John Harley came in and Richard Hughes and has certainly been one of the best acquisitions to this club. The next test is being able to win away against the contenders. Barnsley, do that. We've got every reason to be at the playoffs. I think we'll see, Kieran, then if we can get a result against Barnsley. And I hope we get a result against Barnsley. And nothing to do with our playoff race. I just want us to beat Barnsley, as everyone knows. It's a big deal for me. (laughs) All the Barnsley fans in my life are taking the piss out of me week after week. You barely mention it. On the John Harley note, (laughs) I agree. I think from the outside, it looks like a really positive appointment. And... I really enjoyed it. It was just after Morel kicking out at the player who, where we have three different pronunciations for his surname. Alunjalu. That one. And I think it was just after that, that Harley was having a proper little to and fro and sort of laughing at, um, at the Bolton coaching staff. I'm not sure which Bolton coach it was, if it was ever or what, but yeah, it was beautiful to see proper shithousery on and off the pitch within a 15 second spell. Hey, Beautiful. James Dobb messed in and he says we need to win around 10 of our remaining games. Very difficult. It is very difficult. It's definitely, definitely difficult. So let's see after these three games. Andy Skelton messed in and says nothing's impossible until it's impossible. Just going to enjoy the ride until May and see where we end up. It's going to have to be one of those mad League 2 pushes, isn't it? Like in our promotion season. That's the, that's the, <laughs> the little reference, I suppose, to any of those people with their hope still out there. The issue we made this year was we were actually top of the table at any point in the season before, what was it, the 71st minute or something of the last game of the season. Yeah. So that's that's it, a rookie on our part. We what, what a magical thing being uh, being only winning the league despite only being first for about half an hour. Oh. Not that we're living in the past at all. Brilliant memories. <laughs> right, Messian, which I mentioned at the start of the podcast about Freddie not being able to blame him now if we lose, which is sad times. But he says on a serious note, though. We really seem to have found that balance now, especially with Jacobs in the middle. And my man crush on Towler's even ever growing. Same as mate, get in line. Playoffs are out of reach, in my opinion. But at least that means the momentum we build can be taken into the new season instead of losing it all because we lost yet another playoff game. That's a strong point on the on the last point there. Um you see it so often, don't you, where where teams that are sort of set up and have that positive run at the beginning of the season do fairly well the next season if a lot of the piece a lot if a lot of the players and the tactics are the same. So hopefully this time Portsmouth can actually get it can continue that because last season when it was like mathematically impossible, Pompey would probably get promoted. 
it sort of fell away, didn't it? Even with the positive performances before that. Yeah, massively. It'd be nice to get some momentum going in. And as I said before as well, when you're trying to sign players and get people to come to the club, if you're a team at the end of the season who goes on a mad push and pushes all the playoffs and the manager gets good, a good reputation, that can only really help the recruitment in the summer, in my opinion, as well. So there are some positives towards that. And it was also confirmed by Ryan that Freddie had a massively smug look on his face for, for breaking that curse. So uh, there we go. I think we've got one more to go to now, which I'll quickly do. Stephen Comesh in and he says, I think we'll still finish eighth, but at least it gives us hope and makes the rest of the season interesting, which is all you can ask for when you're recording a weekly podcast, boys. Yeah, I'd rather it didn't empty out in sort of a damp squib of a, yeah, sort of petering out end of season. I mean, don't quote me on this because if we miss out on playoffs on the final day of the season, I'm going to be way too drunk drowning my sorrows to do a podcast. But it's nice to even consider having, uh, you know, something to play for. Ah, Southampton just got a goal back against Grimsby. Yeah, um, it's nice to have the idea of, you know, actually counting towards the end of the season. 12 games is, you know, it's almost a quarter of the season. You can't have a quarter of the season just written off as going through the motions, can you? No, absolutely not. It seems to be a bit of a thing for all my sports teams this season. So it's nice to see Pompey making some sort of bounce back. Thanks to everybody who in. We appreciate it. Same, mate. As a Welsh rugby fan, I'd give anything to actually have any form of interest in like <laughs> in anything possibly ending well in the Six Nations or the Autumn Internationals or any form of rugby. I'd really like to have some sort of, you know, hope. That's the word, hope. That's why you're sounding so positive on the podcast this week, Andy. I like that. What, the alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> Let's call it booze. <laughs> Thanks very much, Tim. Let's move on to Cambridge, boys. Now, I know Freddie's going to do most of the talking for this bit because he actually prepared for it. I was looking straight from work. But I'll start off with a little bit of an introduction, I suppose, on Cambridge. They are pretty rubbish at the moment, aren't they? Let's be honest. Looking at their results over the last six fixtures in all competitions. Well, in fact, this is all just League One. They've had one win, which is against Andy's favourite team, Oxford, one now at home, which I don't know quickly, Andy. Is that actually a derby game, Oxford and Cambridge? Is there a bit of beef there at all because of their boating and all that other bollocks they do? I wouldn't say so. Geographically, it's not, is it? Let's be honest. I think the boat race is a bit of a separate entity. Oxford, no, it's the Oxford Swindon. It's the big one, isn't it? I mean, even Reading's noticeably closer. Reading's sort of just down the road. I wouldn't say so. Fair enough. Now that's cl- now that's clarified. Let's move on. So, looking at the games, they lost against Exeter two 0 Fleetwood one 0 They also lost to, to Cheltenham at home two one. Boys in these last few games going on, they're not looking like a very good team at this moment in, inside, and it's quite confusing really because they were looking better. Um, before they play sort of a 3-5-2 or 3-4-1-2 they've got Ironside up front which I think is a great name if nothing else he's their league goal scorer with six goals this season so far he's good in the air as well can win the ball scores goals for them but overall they're not a team I'm looking at and I'm thinking they're going to cause us too many problems Fred I'm just going to set you up now with my bollocks introduction and say go for it yeah they've struggled a lot Um, they had a there was a small window at the beginning of the season where they looked half decent under Mark Bonner, but the the reason why they aren't playing very well is because of the lack of production up front. I mean, just looking at football reference, 
Their joint top scorers are Joe Ironside and Sam Smith with six goals apiece in League One with two assists each. Their biggest creative outlet in total for me is Harvey Nibs, who plays in the cam role. I do like him. He's quite a versatile cam. More, more of a shadow striker type player, though. Another player to mention who I did put in my potential January signings was Shalou Tracy. Just an explosive winger who could put, who, who has, who Gabe Sutton said I'd like the magic to change a game in one moment, but it just hasn't been consistent enough this season, which is why he only has one goal and three assists in his 28 games. Some other players to mention, they've got Dibitar Mitov in goal, who I'm not really impressed by, to be honest with you. That's interesting. Uh, I quite rate him. I've seen, I've seen him sometimes. It was, wasn't he the keeper who played for Wimbledon? No. Or is that a different... That's a different weird Polish-sounding surname. It was Mitos Bulgarian, but I, 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 I Eastern it, Bloc, I mean. Freddie. I mean, right. if we're going, if we're going technical on the the spelling of these different Eastern Bloc surnames, then it's we're going to lose even more listeners than we do with our normal previews. Mm. I'm mm. disappointed to be honest, Andy, because you know you're you're pretty cultural and that sort of thing, and you know speaking different languages and that kind of thing. Is that is that just a you speak Russian? So Eastern I mean, we Bloc don't... is Eastern Bloc for you. We don't shout out about the Russian affiliation these days, if I'm honest with you. I tend to keep that previous Russian language skill set a bit close to my chest these days. Yet, yeah. uh, please see the Ukrainian flag in my Twitter at uh, in my Twitter handle. Um, Fred, I think who you're thinking of is Nikola Zanev. Oh uh, yeah, that's that's who I was thinking of. But so, I, I don't I don't really rate either of them, to be honest with you. So it's yeah, I don't really... rate Zanev a huge, huge amount, mm. um, but I do. Uh, excuse me, I do rate Mitov a little bit more. In terms of the advanced numbers, Cambridge are underperforming their expected goals by a fairly large margin. Got 26 total goals in the league from their 34.38 expected goals. Defensively, they are around the middle. They've actually conceded an awful lot more than the chances they've given up, which either means they've let in a lot of screamers or it might just be some woeful defensive errors. They conceded 54 goals in the league from their 44.58 expected goals against. It depends how they set up. From the way I've seen Cambridge play with their 3-5-2, it very rarely turns into a back five, which is quite something. So there's a lot of gaps which Pompey can exploit. And obviously with strikers like Smith and Ironside, they focus on crossing a fair bit as well. So Pompey to defend that might have to step back a bit. And I have noticed that Brandon Houndstrup is in the Cambridge United squad, but it's only played five games. I'm not actually sure he's still there. And also Steve Seddon, so some ex-Pompey connections in this squad list. Um, I'm not sure how often they play, to be honest. Houndstrup only has five appearances in this list. Andy, do you have anything to touch on with Cambridge before I start wrapping this podcast up and asking for your score predictions? Not overly. I actually quite like them as a side, to be honest with you. I've always thought that we've had quite good games against them and generally fairly successful games against them. As Freddie said, Ironside is the obvious threat, but I mean, a 2-1 loss to say it was at home to Cheltenham. That is a damning indictment, bearing in mind what we saw of Cheltenham away from home last week. So this is uh, one of those frustrating games where a loss would undo a hell of a lot of good work over the last week or so. And you just hope that it won't happen. All right, let's get into it then. 
Freddie, I want to know your score prediction, please, for the game on Saturday against Cambridge and any goal scorers. I'm fairly positive for this one. I'm going to go with a, a, a 2-0 Portsmouth win. Calm, comfortable, not allowing many chances. And I'm going to go for goals from, I'm going to say, Owendale finally breaks his duck and long, long, long stretch of games without a goal or an assist. And I'm going to go for Colby Bishop, for the obvious one, for the second goal. Andy Mitch, what are you saying? 3-0 Pompey. Agree with Freddie on Owendale. I mean, his XG is just so low compared, sorry, so high compared to his zero actual G. So I will go with an Owendale. I'll go with the Colby Bishop. I'll go for a, a cheeky little Ronan Curtis. I'm going 2 now, Pompey. I was going to go 2 now, and then I was going to change it to 3 now, because Freddie said 2 now. And now I'm back to 2 now, because I can't think of anything else. So 2 now, Pompey. I'm going to go with a goal from Colby Bishop and a goal from Ryan Tundercliffe, who's playing for his contract. He gets another one. Why not? Nice. I like that. Bryn Morris has just come on for Grims- Grimsby. Don't want to give away uh, when we record these things, but my man. My man's on. Andy, you're looking like your stunt double. Well, Grimsby are currently 2-1 up, so if the true Bryn Morris is out and about, announce Southampton 3-2. No, that's we'll how, you, that's how you close... That's how you close a game out, Andy. <laughs> it's all right. We're in the middle of... Well, we're in March. It's not winter or summer, so I don't really know if it suits his style of play or not. Brin for the win. Freddie, are you going to say anything? Because you just... You unmuted your microphone and just held oh, your yeah. head. Mm. One thing to point out, though, about, about the Cambridge game. Pause, they played reasonably at Fratton Park, but Pulsar still managed to get the 4-1 win in that game. It was quite strange. It ended up being fairly comfortable because... They scored first, but then Portsmouth just blitzed them in the second half. It was quite strange, really. It showed how linky their defence is, really. It does. And that's the end of the show, Andy. It's been great having you on the podcast. Thanks, fella. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Looking forward to this time in six months. A big unveiling of John Musinio's face just next to the Dickinson one in the Fratton end. I'm thoroughly excited for it. <laughs> that statue built you saying <laughs> Freddie it's been great being on the podcast I oh, always a pleasure thank you for having me on and until next time Andy I don't know you know you're going to say something do you want me to finish the sentence for you go on go- until next time play up Pompey there we go <laughs> do you want to do that again or not <laughs> no just leave it as that All right. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.